Uh, so if you, you know me at all, you can maybe tell, like I'm kind of chomping at the bit for this one. It's a, uh, this is an important message for me. We are in week five of a series called Born for This. So Born for This really started off as kind of this question, like why did God make us? And what did he design us for? Well, I think most of us that are believers for a while, we understand. God made us for mission. He made us for community. You know, we get that he um, exists in love to draw us to himself, uh, that he made us in his image. I think all of those things, like we can at least agree on those. But what I find is there's a lot of barriers and hindrances to kind of embracing the fullness of who God is. And so we've been tackling uh, a lot of big questions, stuff like, you know, does, uh, what happens when the presence of God isn't felt? What, what is, what's wrong? Is there something wrong with me? Um, why, why are there so many rules in the Bibles? Like, questions like that. It's been a really good series. If you've had some uh, unbelieving friends or just people with questions and they're maybe kicking the tires of church and Christianity, and, and, and I found that uh, many of you guys have talked to me and said, it's, it's it's been a real helpful message, and so uh, this series is for you, uh, and uh, it's to the glory of God, but today, uh, we're going to actually talk about something a little bit different. This is, uh, again, the fifth in this series, and today we're going to talk about born for legacy, born for legacy. Now, so can I on a question, can you imagine if you were uh, in the very first team, the original team to climb and summit Mount Everest, you know? Imagine if that was you, and you went up with uh, Sir Edmund Hillary and Tenzing Norgay, and you made it to the summit of Mount Everest, and, uh, and, and you were a part of that first expedition. Uh, you know, it wasn't like you were the fifth or the 15th or, you know, even the 1500th, um, you, were, you were the first. Uh, that would be super cool, right? And I don't know if any of those people um, are even still alive, but it would be just amazing to sit down and talk to them and kind of experience what that would have been like to pioneer uh, a route up to the very top of the world. Um, can you imagine if you were a member of the Continental Congress back in the 1770s and 1780s where you were forming the very documents and framework of the greatest country on planet Earth, right? The, um, the framework of our Constitution, I, I, the Declaration of Independence, these kind of really radical documents that replace the idea of a divine right of kings uh, that would have been so cool to be able to say you are a part of that. And of course, you know, none of, none of us can, and uh, those people are long gone, but uh, it's still amazing to think about what that must have felt like uh, to be a founding father, somebody that um, had that kind of legacy, that they were a part of the beginning of this country and had a historical role to play. But I'm here to tell you that what we are involved in today, what you are here involved in right now is even greater than either of these, that what we're doing today has an eternal impact. And if you think that that's just, you know, a pastor talk, right, I'm here to tell you and spend the next 40 minutes or so talking about uh, why what we are doing today is uh, amongst the greatest legacy building experiences possible and why uh, we are engaged in something that's unshakable and permanent but in order to do that, we have to actually have a conversation about something that's a little uncomfortable, and that is we're going to kind of talk about and imagine life after we're no longer here. And death is uncomfortable. It's challenging to think about what happens uh, before uh, 
before we die and leading up to it. And so I'm not gonna you know, discuss the whole passage of your life, but I am gonna say that one day your life will be complete and you will leave behind a legacy, a legacy. Now, when I bring this um, subject up, so many people are like, hey man, I'm just trying to pay my bills and mow the lawn, you know? Uh, I don't really wanna talk about death. Can we just talk about something else? In fact, you know, people can be hesitant about that. Even my wife, like, you know, if I try to talk to, it, to her about like, you know, what, how we set up, you know, like in inheritance and caring for the family and life insurance, things like that. She doesn't want to talk about it. She's like, no, 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 no. You know, she doesn't want to. And, and I understand that, you know, people are very uncomfortable about that. But I want to challenge you today to think about legacy because it can be really helpful in how you live your life. To think about what you're going to leave behind. And I'm sort of comfortable talking about it. I really don't understand why. But uh, part of the reason I think is that I've done my research and only one out of one actually dies. Just it's a scientific fact, only one out of one, and so, but I'm pretty comfortable talking about it because it's, it's a part of life, death is a part of life. And I think another reason that I am is, <coughs> you know, I'm in my 50s that I've done my share of funerals, I've attended my share of funerals, many, many more actually that I've attended, and I've noticed something as a pattern across all of these funerals that I've attended and I've, uh, I've officiated at, and that is that when you ask somebody to talk about, like a friend or a family member, to talk about their loved ones, you know, most of the time it's pretty awkward. And you'll see what happens is this struggle as they kind of get out, you know, maybe the, the right words to say. There's an awkwardness in there. And then they might say something like, you know, hey, uh, he, you know, he really loved uh, college football. And then it just kind of like breaks the ice, you know. Oh, you really love college football. Or then it'll be like, Nana just loved gardening. She was so into her gardens. And, you know, they can just kind of talk about that. And there's nothing wrong with those things. But then that's just kind of it. Like it'll just end there. There's just an awkwardness awkwardness about it. They don't say much. It just almost feels like a relief that we've kind of got that we've got their story out there. Um, but other times it's not awkward at all. Other times it's completely natural. And when you ask somebody to share, uh, I mean, stories just flow, you know? It will be like, it's so natural. I can remember when he, he stood before me and exactly what he said to me. I'll never forget what he or she did uh, to me. They, they saved me. They, 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 they bailed me out when I needed help. And um, everyone's crying and uh, they're, they're sad tears for the lost. And, and it's just heartfelt. And stories just begin to flow. It's really one of those moments of, uh, of, of depth of emotion where you begin to see that, that all of these people sort of connected in this amazing way with this person that made a huge difference. And this last April, our church celebrated the life of our dear friend, Will McLean, who passed away. And it was that kind of an occasion. When we, when we talked about Will, it was so easy for people to get up and share with what Will meant for, for them. Will was a discipler. Will was a lover of his family. But there were so many stories and there was so many examples of, you know, what his life was and what he meant to so many people, and it was a huge celebration. If you remember that, this, this church really rallied together around the family, but the family and the friends of Will, it was so easy just to talk about him. In fact, I still meet with people today, and we, we get together, and we talk about Will, and we're like, oh, I miss Will. What would he have said in this situation? What would he have done in this situation? So it's so much more than he loved college football.
football. There was a depth to his legacy, and I love that, man. I really love that, and I, and I realize that most of us, we, you know, we, we hopefully, we'll just have decades of life ahead of us, right? Uh, so we don't want to think about legacy, but it's so helpful to kind of lean into that. And the question is, how can I live in such a way as to outlast myself? When I pass away, to leave a, a, a legacy that our values and our faith would like outlast me, and when I, you know, when I'm fortunate enough to go with Jesus, that I leave behind something that's real that will pass on to generations to come. And they might not remember my name, but they will remember that legacy, and it will impact and ripple through generations. Um, Paul thought about legacy a lot, and the Apostle Paul was one that was kind of anticipating, especially in some of the books in the New Testament, he was anticipating that his life wasn't going to last very much longer. Um, and uh, one of the great places where he leans into his legacy is Acts chapter 20, and I want to spend some time in that chapter today as we unroll this the, the thoughts of Paul as he begins, begins to talk about his legacy, give you a little bit of background in Acts 20. Paul is traveling through Greece and Macedonia, and he's really in a hurry to kind of get home to Jerusalem. There's this big feast that's happening. It's called the Feast of Pentecost. And for Jews, it's a very big deal, and you need to be in Jerusalem for the feast. And so he's really in a hurry to get back there. And so um, he is, the, it's kind of weird. They talk about like Paul staying up all night after a guy gets healed. And, and they even say like Paul preached a very, very long sermon and it went too long. And so he's like delaying and delaying and delaying. And then he finally gets on the ship after just preaching these long-winded sermons. And then, and then all of a sudden he says, you know, hey, um, you guys want to stop in Ephesus. But, you know, I, if I stop in Ephesus... It's just going to be really busy there, and, and everybody's going to want to come to me with their agendas, and I love that church, but here's what we'll do. We'll stop. We'll put in at this little town called Miletus, and then uh, he does an interesting thing. He says, I'll send for the Ephesian elders, and the elders can come and meet me, and then we'll have a conversation, but I know that if I land in Ephesus, I'm just going to get mobbed. It's going to take a ton of time, and I really want to get to Jerusalem in time for uh, Pentecost. Now, I'm feeling in a lot of Paul, like it's, a lot of that is just me. Um, filling in the spaces. So read it for yourself. It's in Acts 20. But where I want to kind of zero in on his thoughts are in, in verse 20, he says uh, to them, he's reminding the Ephesian elders uh, how I did not shrink from declaring to you anything that was profitable. In other words, um, I gave you all that I had, all that I knew. I didn't shrink from it. I, I spoke boldly. I told you everything that I know, everything that's profitable. And I taught you both in public like this kind of thing where I'm speaking to you in public, but then also in private conversations, I did the same thing. I, I Even in house-to-house -house conversations, I shared with you all that was profitable. And verse 21, he says, testifying both to Jews and to Greeks, so it wasn't a respecter of person. I was able to speak uh, to each different group. And uh, he said, the message was of repentance toward God and of faith in our Lord Jesus Christ. But then he begins to be sort of realistic about his prospects as he heads into Jerusalem that he, he might not make it. He thinks, you know, I, I, could, I could die in, in Jerusalem. So in, in verse 22, he says, and now behold, I'm going to Jerusalem constrained by the spirit. I don't have any other, uh, there, there, I'm compelled by the Holy Spirit to go. Uh, this, is, this is something God wants me to do, not knowing what will happen to me there. So he, He's not afraid. He's really willing to lay it all out for the gospel. 
And what he's saying, I think, in, in all of this is that I'm going on mission to Jerusalem. I have poured my life out to you, and there's this next chapter in my life, and so I'm moving on. And he says, you can, you know, you can waste your life, or, and, and somebody once said, you can either waste your life or spend your life, or you can invest your life. And so Paul was saying, I've invested in you. I didn't shrink from you. I told you everything that I knew that was profitable. And he was so sure of his legacy in Christ that he says in verse 24, but I do not account for my life of any value, nothing of value, nor as precious to myself if only I might finish my course and the ministry that I received from the Lord Jesus. A lot of people think that Paul might have been an athlete because he uses these uh, metaphors of running races a lot. And he says, if only my, I might finish my course, run my race, and the ministry that I've received from the Lord Jesus to testify to the gospel of the grace of God. He says, my, work, my, my life is worth nothing to me unless I tell others about the good news of Jesus Christ. That that's the purpose of my life. I was born for mission. My, my goal, my, my driving purpose in life is to unveil the good news. And I like, I, so I think about legacy a lot. I'm just one of those weird people that do. And I think about what my life goal is. And honestly, it's changed a little bit over the years. Now, now that I'm a pastor, I've been a pastor here for four years. And uh, I, I really feel like my, my mission has changed, where it used to be like, just survive the first year, you know, and, and with your sanity intact. Okay, that's my mission. I'm just gonna get through the first year. But I really see it more clearly now that my life's goal is to lead others like you guys into this spectacular love uh, of, of scripture, that you guys get the, the value and the wonder of God's word for yourself. That you don't look at it and see that, oh, the Bible is something that has to be taught to me. That Pastor Scott's job is to teach me the Bible. But I want to impart to you that the Bible's wonders come from the word itself, not from me. And I'm not content just to leave in my life like a deposit of sermons and messages and te teachings. But underneath it all, like, stands the book itself, stands God's word. And if, if you know, I really feel like this, if future generations coming up after me, if if they only see what I see, but not how I see it for myself, then what happens is, is that you all will be second-handers. You'll just be taking things that are given to you and kind of walking around second-hand with it. And the problem with it, that is that second-handers can't last. I'm convinced of it, that you can't be a second-hander and you won't last in the faith. You will not only be bored, but you will be boring. And so my mission, my goal in life is to just you know, show you that, that, that you can see this for yourself. You can have it for yourself, the glory of God's world, word, the, the, just the powerful, truth-preserving, like soul-shaking word of God, Christ-exalting word of God. That's my mission. That's, that's what I want to leave as a legacy. And Paul tells them exactly what he wants his legacy to be in verse 33. He circles back around to it and he says, I coveted no one's silver or gold or apparel. I don't care about the things that the world cares about, amassing wealth and wearing, uh, you know, nice 
fashion, but he says, you yourselves know that these hands ministered to my necessities and to those who are with me. In all things, he says, and this is key, I have shown you that by working hard in this way, we must help the weak and remember the words of the Lord Jesus, how he himself said it is more blessed to give than to receive. And he starts to lay out what it looks like, legacy, what legacy looks like for himself. He said, it's an act of giving. It's pouring out my life. My legacy isn't judged by how many things I have and what I've accumulated, how much stuff I have had, but it's what I've been able to do and who I've been able to serve. I'm here to tell you that if you are buying into the American materialist dream, you are not buying into legacy, not lasting spiritual legacy, because all of those things the Bible says, moth uh, you know, uh, destroys, rust corrupts, it all passes away, it's all futile. But the marks of a legacy builder, and I've kind of written four things down for you, and I'm gonna go over them really quickly, then I'm gonna come back and I'm gonna show you some really practical things that you can do as a young person today to build a godly legacy to leave something that will outlast you, something that will live well after you're dead. So here we go. First thing that you want to do to build a legacy, this is a mark of a legacy builder, is number one, make God the foundation of your life. That God is the center and the focus of everything. The foundation is what everything else is built on. Number two, remember that love matters most, remembers that love matters most. The legacy builder remembers that. A legacy builder also, number three, gathers the right companions around them, people that support them, so you will know how to do that if you're a legacy builder. And then number four, commits their life to a greater purpose. A legacy builder commits their life to a greater purpose. So the thing is about these four things, it is so rare and so unusual to find that person. If you find that person, I mean, you know what, I would do anything I could to hang out with them, to spend time with them, to draw them into my life. It's so, un- so rare and unusual to find them because uh, having all of those things together is the mark of a legacy builder. And it is truly rare to see that somebody leaves a massive spiritual legacy. There are some practical ways uh, that you can become a legacy builder. I want to give those to you. And uh, I think of the very first verse I want to kind of draw our attention to uh, as, as, because, you know, you, you need to know how to do some things, right? And so John 13, 7 says, now that you know these things, right, uh, you will be blessed if you know them, right? That's what, does anybody see anything wrong with that, by the way? Oh, yeah, I think it's broken. Look, actually, what it says, it's not know them, it's do them. So it, now that you know these things, you will be blessed if you do them. And so knowing stuff isn't enough. So if I, if I build a theology that's really sound, just knowing about God doesn't translate to my experience about God. There needs to be worship in between. And so doing stuff is the ultimate goal, not just knowing. And so you can know all the things about a legacy, but but how do I do them? Putting, blessing doesn't come from knowing. Blessing comes from doing. And so the very first thing that I want to talk about is how do I build this immovable foundation in my life? He said, make God the foundation of your life. How do I build it? How do I create an immovable foundation of my life? So here we go. Never stop learning God's word. Never stop learning God's word. You get in the Bible, you read it, you understand it. If you feel completely lost, that's okay. You still keep reading it, and you create in, your, in yourself a mentality of a lifetime student of God's word. 
How many of you guys have ever thought about yourself as a lifetime student of God's word? So many people come to me and they're like, you know, um, hey, I'd like for advice on this. And, you know, they'll explain their situation to me, you know, what, what's going on in their lives. And, and I'm, I'm like, I throw a verse at them. You know, I'm, I'm assuming that they know this verse. And they're like, oh, wow, I've never heard that before. You know, but you've been a Christian for so many years and that, that's like a foundational verse. And the point is, is that so many Christians, they, they connect more with the emotion and not with the idea of being a student. And so many uh, of you guys, because of your, you know, what you're involved in right now, you're like, I don't need to be a student any more than I already am, right? I, I'm a student, trust me, I've got my life full uh, being a student. But what I'm saying is that develop inside your, your, your mind a mentality that you are a lifetime learner of God's word. What is the best way? Way to learn something. Are you ready? What is the best way to learn something? I'm going to give it to you right now. It's, it's 100% true too. You can take this note and you can rely on it. Here you go. Teach it to others. Teach it to others. It's something that honestly is a huge benefit of what I do because I get to teach the Bible all the time. As I teach it, as I cast it away, as I give it away, you know what? It flows into me. It just flows right in. I, I love, the best way to learn is by teaching others. So there's the, uh, in Israel, there's this huge sea and it's called the Dead Sea. It's the lowest spot uh, uh, on planet Earth. If it's not the lowest, it's one of the lowest. And so one of the things that's cool about the Dead Sea is it's intensely, um, you know, mineral rich. There, there isn't an outflow to it. So everything that comes into the Dead Sea, you know, with all the minerals and the salts that come in, uh, there, because there's no outflow, it just sits in the desert, in the Negev Desert, and then it just evaporates. And so the sea itself is just the combination of like thousands of years of inflow, but no outflow. And you can't drink the water. In fact, it's very, it, 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 you know, you can float on it. It's so dense, but you can't drink it. It's, it won't help you in any way, um, they, they bottle it up and say that it's a good elixir for whatever reason, but it, it won't quench your thirst and because there's an inflow, but there's no outflow. And I love that metaphor because I think so many times Christians become, we're just receiving, we're receiving messages and we're receiving sermons and we're gathering God's word and it's flowing in, but we're stagnating because we don't have an outflow. If you take other, you know, uh, other, other big lakes, the Great Lakes and so forth, most, most lakes have both an inflow flow, but they also have outflows as well. There's a release for it. So there's always something fresh coming in and there's, there's a, so like even in your body, you have an inflow, so you eat food and then if you have an outflow, right, you, you take in food, but then you also have to you know, right? I mean, you know, you have to eliminate it, right? So, um, and so if you ever thought you'd hear about poop uh, at Canyon Creek Church, you just did. So, but it, it's, that's what, you know, you're healthy when you eat and when you eliminate, right? If you stop, if you stop eliminating, uh, you're in trouble and you're going to be in trouble pretty quickly. And so you, you eat, you have to take in, but also give out. The best way to learn something is to teach it to others, to be constantly letting, letting God's word out of your mouth, out of your life, to transfer what you you learn. When I was a new believer in Christ, like one of the greatest opportunities I had as I was falling in love with God's word is uh, my pastor told me, hey, lead a small group. And I was like, I'm not ready to lead a small group. I don't know God's word. And he says, neither does anybody else. So just lead one. And, you know, and, and so I was like, okay, well, I'll try. I need some help. And so he would give me verses and he would help me out and give me a little bit of a, like a guideline. And as I taught God's word, I realized that, woo, this feels super fresh and alive to me. And then people would ask me questions and start to look at me. Pretty soon, 
I'm discipling them. It's weird, you know. They're asking me deep questions. And the best way to, uh, to build a legacy and, mo- and an immovable foundation in your life is to learn God's word. Best way to learn God's word is to teach it. Number two, how can I demonstrate that love matters most? Love matters most. And not the romantic kind of love, not the Ario speed wagon, like hand-holding kind of love, but that kind of love that's sacrificial and it's giving and it, and it, and it doesn't just take, it provides that kind of love that um, is exemplarized, exemplified in Jesus Christ who died on the cross for us, for God so loved the world that he gave. How do I demonstrate that that kind of love matters the most? And so here it is. Do all your work in love. Do all your work in love. You mean at my job? Yeah. You mean at school? Do that in love? Like, how does that work out? Yes, do it in love. Live your life in such a way that you are loving, that you are hospitality-oriented people, that you're giving, that you notice humans, that you love people, even difficult people, even problem people, even, even like really, really hard people. If you love and you love and you love, then you are doing what the Bible says is true religion. James 1.27 says, true religion, the kind that God accepts is this. And by the way, I wouldn't have definitely picked the way that James defines it, but he says that true religion, the kind that God accepts, is seen in caring for orphans and widows. He's saying like the, the single mom that, you know, she doesn't have a husband around anymore. Like caring for that person is the mark of love and true religion because that shows love in, in a way that nothing else does. And so if you're looking to make a mark in love, you know, take care of somebody. Give of your resources to help someone else out. That's how you can create a legacy in love. Uh, number three, how do I choose the right companions? So you're saying like a legacy builder knows and surrounds themselves with people that uh, will make them stronger. And so number one, I would say this, that if you want to build a legacy, be a part of a local church. Be a part of what God is doing here. And And I'm continuously challenged by, you know, two things. Number one is that what God is doing here is amazing and it's very special to me and you guys are all special to me, but I, that I realize that God is doing stuff all over our city and all over our, our country and, uh, and we're a part of something that's bigger than us and bigger than who we are, but, but man, for what, you know, for being plugged into this place, like I, I can't imagine a, a better church. Like I, I would want to come here if I wasn't your pastor and so I would want... <clears throat> I would want all of you guys, and I need all of you guys as my companions in life. So be a part of a local church. Proverbs 13, 20 says, keep company with the wise and you will become wise. If you make friends with stupid people, I love the Bible, (laughs) with stupid people, you will be ruined. And so, you know, don't be just a spectator. Don't be somebody on the outside. Be a participant. Jump in. Get involved. Um, God is building his family, and you're a part of it. You know, if you're looking around, you're going, like, this church is just, everything is great, but there's this one or two things that bug me, you know, then go fix it. Just be involved in it and see, you know, what is it that you can do to build a community of believers. And another thing, too, is I would say this, is that show me your friends and I'll show you your future. There's another aspect to companions, and that is the kind of people that you're hanging around with will indicate to me sort of where you're going in life. And if you have really strong uh, uh, friends that are, that, are, that are pushing you and that they're, they're helping you to become better in Christ, then you need to like hang on to those people. Those are, that's unique and that's very important. 
Um, if, you're, if you're the type of person where you're constantly giving and there's no one pouring into your life, you need to sort of step back and reevaluate and say, wait, I need some people who are pouring into my life. It's sort of, again, the idea of inflow and outflow. So if you're filled with people and you're just trying to always fix them, then those aren't the right kind of companions for you. You need to be not just somebody that's giving, but also receiving wisdom. I think it's so important. God is building his family, so choosing the right companions is part of choosing a legacy and making a big difference because you aren't going to leave a legacy if all you're doing is giving and giving and giving and you're not being with people, marrying people, being best friends with people that can uh, fill, fill your life, fill your bucket constantly. And so it's so important for somebody to fill your bucket. Number four, what's the greatest purpose I can give my life to? What do you think I'm going to say here, right? This is the kingdom of God. It is the kingdom of God. It's the only, and why would I say that, right? Well, I'm the pastor. No, I'm saying that because it's the only thing that's going to last. The kingdom of God, it went, okay, so 1,000 years from now, I'm telling you right now, Google is not going to exist. If we, if we last, if our society lasts another 1,000 years, Microsoft is going to be gone. Apple computer, I guarantee you, it's going to be not here at all. There won't be iPhones in 1,000 years. I'm telling you right now, Samsung will not be here. In fact, I will even go so far as to say this. I really doubt that the United States of America will exist in 1,000 years. Well, wow, you know, um, I may be, but I really don't think so because, you know, where, where's the Assyrian Empire? Where's the Mongols? Where are the, where's the Hittite Empire? Where, where are they now? They're not around, you know? And so empires, even, even big movements, right, they come and they go. In 1,000 years, the United States, States of America probably isn't gonna be here. But if Jesus doesn't come back, there will still be a church. There still will be God's kingdom is going to last. And so if you're going to bet your life, you want to put your money on something that's going to last. And I put my money on the kingdom of God. Let me tell you something. I spent 26 years in a business that the sole goal of our business was two things. Number one is obviously to make money for the employees, and I wanted to make money too. But the, actually, the, the goal of our business was to make doctors more money. That was really it. And one day I had this epiphany, and I was like, wait a second. <clears throat> so I'm spending, I've spent two and a half decades building up a business so that doctors can make more money. Again, nothing wrong with doctors. Love doctors. I see doctors. But, but my, when, it, when it came to legacy, I thought, why don't I put all my chips into the kingdom? kingdom of God and do that. And, and God really, he spoke to me and he says, that's exactly what I want you to do in your life. And so, you know, I would, I would say that God is, has given me a love for his people because the kingdom and, and pouring your heart and your resources into the kingdom is a lasting proposition. You know, God's kingdom is going to last Another thing about God's kingdom, if you want um, just an explanation of what it is, it's, first of all, it's multinational. If you're one of those people that you think, you know, um, that God is an American God, I'm here to tell you God is not an American God. I would die for this country. I love this country. My, my dad spent his life serving this country. Um, and, and in combat and, in, and just, for decades, he served his country. And I love my country. But I would die for America. Jesus did not die for America. He didn't die for America. He died for broken humanity. And my prayer, primary job isn't to save America, but to save Americans. And that's a huge difference. I want to pour my life into what matters and what lasts. And the kingdom of God matters. And as much as I love my country, I love my Jesus. 
is so much more. And again, it's so important for us to realize the distinction there is the kingdom of God will last forever. It is multinational. It is permanent. It is what lasts. So what is your calling? That's the question I want to ask you today. What is your purpose Is it to impart spiritual truth to the next generation? Is that your purpose? Well, if not, why not? Because, you know, you've been given so much. So much has been transferred to you. All of the grace, all of the opportunity, all of the financial benefit. You're getting to go to an amazing school in a great town. You live in on the Palouse, which, um, you know, I mean, it just gets rated like one of the top places in America to live. And it's just such a beautiful place that we live in. All of that grace, why keep it? Why keep it to yourself? When you can tell a little four-year-old child, when you can get down on their knees and say, you know, you may not hear this at home, but God loves you. He cares about you. That's imparting spiritual truth to the next generation. To to, uh, stand next to a teenager who doesn't have a father figure that loves them and looks them in the eye and says, you're born for for greatness. You're born for something bigger. And, you know, they don't have this image of a godly father figure at home, but you can be that image of a godly father figure, mother figure to a teenager. You can support a, a, a single mom, be a supporting voice to a single mom. You can pass on love to the next generation. Is that's your calling, where you can show her children the love of God more than she has the strength to do alone. If that's you, then your calling is to impart uh, spiritual truth to the next generation. My dream is that, that we as a church could light up the next generation for the kingdom of God. Now, a lot of people are hard on the next generation. I think way too hard. I, I Personally, I've got nothing but love in my heart for the up-and-coming generation. I believe in them. I see them. They're the most cause-driven, mission-minded, Minded people in history. They care so much about other people, it's ridiculous. They, they know that they can make a difference. In fact, I believe that you as an up-and-coming generation can do far more than I ever could because God has given you a special purpose and that is to take and, and see yourself not just as what's going to happen tomorrow, but generationally for what God can do in the up and coming generation as you pass on into the workforce, into the professional life. And then it's people like my son who will come up into the world and look at you as leaders, exposing them, exposing others to the power and the presence of God in the local church, to the needs of the world through the eyes of Christ and to the thrill of being used by God. If that's your mission, then you understand what David told his son Solomon, I want to close by reading this one scripture to you. I love this so much. David is speaking to his son and he says, Solomon, my son, learn to know the God of your ancestors intimately. Worship and serve him with your whole heart and with a willing mind for the Lord sees every heart and he knows every plan and thought. If you seek him, you will find him. But if you forsake him, he will reject you forever. So take this seriously. The Lord has chosen you to build a temple as his sanctuary. Be strong and do the work. Be strong and do the work. Get busy. Get doing it. The secret to success is this. Here it is. Are you ready? You want to be successful? I'm going to get there before your uh, commencement speaker for those of you who are graduating. Okay, here it is serve, give your life away, pour out yourself. It's that simple. Serve, give your life away, pour out yourself. Or as David said to Solomon, be strong 
and do the work. Do the work. Just in this last moment, I want to ask you a question. Thinking back to Will McLean for just a moment. Many of you guys, you don't know Will. You never met him. You know, he was sick long before you had a chance to come to Canyon Creek Church. We've grown a lot in the past year, so many of you, you guys have never even seen Will. But I want you to tell me, like, if Will has made a difference in your life, either directly, like, face-to-face, he did something for you, he said something to you, uh, either he made a difference and, 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 and you are stronger as a believer because of Will, or number two, someone changed will change someone else's perspective and and destiny and then they helped to change you. So you don't know Will directly, but he made a difference through someone else. If that's you, could you just stand in Will's honor right now? Just stand on your feet. I I want you to stand up in honor of Will. Now, I want you to look around. Those of you guys who are thinking about legacy right now, do you want your legacy to be, I'm a great Fortnite player? I'm really good at collecting stuff? Or do you want to be the type of a person where you will drive this many people to their feet because you love Jesus and you sacrificed and you gave and you did the work and you poured out your life? This is a legacy. This is what I want. I want it for you. I want it for you. You can be seated. And invite the ushers to come forward and receive this morning's tithes and offerings. And I'm so humbled to get to share God's word with you. And I hope this one lands in your heart in such a way just to not burden you with like, oh my goodness, yeah, I'm doing a lot of things, but I'm not building a legacy. You know what? 20 years ago, best time to plant a tree. And you know the saying, right? The second best time is today. So begin today. Let me pray. Father, thank you so much for these amazing people, these, these people that, would, um, that care so much, are connected to causes and passions that are greater than I had ever thought possible back when I was their age. And for those of us that are older, um, Lord Jesus, I pray, God, that no one would sit here in condemnation and thinking, wait, I, haven't, I, I don't have a legacy like Will, and I'm you know, in my 40s, in my 30s, in my 50s, whatever it is. Um, God, for all of us, there's a great day, and that is today to begin to live by giving and serving to be strong and do the work. God, I pray that you would show us to be givers in so many ways. Thank you for this offering, God, as you have blessed this church. You are so generous and so giving, and thank you for each gift and every giver. In Jesus' name, amen.